Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, and once again, we've got our good old buddy Andre Fernandez back with us. Dre, how have you been, buddy? Pretty good, man. Just uh, getting through this, uh, you know, football season, starting a new year, hopefully a, a better year than the last year, even though 2021 has been acting up lately, you know, just like 2020 did. But it's it, the, the year is only, you know, less than two weeks young. So let's give it a chance. Let's see if things turn for the better pretty soon here. The year's two weeks young and knock on wood, we got spring training in five weeks. Yeah. But- and, and and amazing, too, because not not. Some some moves around the baseball world that we're going to talk about right now on this podcast, but not like a, you know, a lot of free agents still out there. A lot of, you know, big moves still potentially to be made and, and clock is ticking. But it feels like the last couple of years that's been the case with baseball. But now, you know, especially with the pandemic year coming off of that, not really surprising that that the pocketbooks aren't, you know, the checks aren't being signed too much so far. Teams are waiting a little bit. Well, since you mentioned it, we're going to talk this week just more big picture with the NL East and seeing where teams are starting to stack up about with about a little more than a month left until pitchers and catchers are supposed to report. And it's fitting that we're doing it now considering the Mets just made arguably the biggest move of the offseason so far. You can argue the Padres with getting Blake Snell is the biggest move, but this has been what's been expected throughout the entire offseason. Francisco Lindor, they, the Mets finally made the big move. They got Lindor. They got Cookie Carrasco as well to beef up their rotation. And now as we start to formulate and start seeing all the moves that the divisions really had, it's really, it's a two team race at the top. It looks like between the Braves and the Mets, the Nats are trying to hover to try contend in there. And with a month left to go, it's looking like the Marlins and the Phillies are basically fighting out to not be last. Yeah. I mean, every year with the Mets, like you almost, you almost see how it ends. But then you're like, how did how could it end this way after such of the moves they make? And here's another year right now where you're gonna be we're gonna be very surprised if this crashes and burns for the Mets after this. Not not only adding Lindor, who I know some Marlins fans were dreaming about that, but dreams are pretty much all they were and all we were, all that I expected for sure when it came to him because to get you know a quality player like him, I mean you know arguably you know some could say best shortstop in the game right now. It's very similar, and somebody – I forgot who commented that, saying it was probably the infielder version of the Mookie Betts deal in the sense of, you know, if the Mets do something like this, I doubt – especially with the pieces they gave up, I doubt they're going to – they're not – I doubt they're not going to sign him long term. So Definitely. this is something that's going to make the Mets line up really strong for years to come. And then getting Cookie Carrasco adds another another weapon to that, to that arsenal that they have, you know, already with Syndergaard once he's healthy, with DeGrom – you uh, and yeah, like you said, I mean, we're just talking about the Mets, you know, the Nats with Josh Bell. I mean, they had a power bat in Schwarber. We you know worst case scenario, he's their DH. You know, they've still got Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. As much as we want to say the Marlins have improved, and they have, but if you put it on a chart, their line isn't going as high as these other teams are. And if you put it now on a, on a, on a potential standings, I mean, even today we saw that chart on FanGraphs. I think it was a Zip saying. The Marlins are still – the record is a little better than it was two years ago, but they're still finishing last. I mean, you know, the Phillies are the only one that hasn't done anything yet, but I wouldn't put it past them. Remember, they still have more – a bigger pocketbook to, to spend, it seems. And so, you know, whether they, whether they bring back JT Real Muto or not, they've still got Harper. They've still got some quality pitching there too, and I wouldn't be surprised if we haven't seen the, you know, the, the next chess piece move in, in the division done by the Phillies. 
Yeah, definitely. You mentioned that graph for that the projections by Zips that Fangraphs put out today. The Marlins, they have them in fifth place at 73 and 89. They have the Phillies just above them, three games ahead at 76 and 86. And then you look right. at the top of the list, the Braves are first place at 92 and 70. We haven't mentioned them really, but if you look at the real, their main move was signing Charlie Morton, which is a decent move in and of itself, but they also get Mike Soroka back, who they didn't have last year for the better yeah. part of it. So you have a rotation with Mike Soroka, Max Free, Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, to go along with the lineup of Acuna, Freeman, Darno, Albi, Swanson, Riley. Wow, I just so think, we, about, so I think about their lineup, and that's without Marcelo Zuma and Adam Duvall, who they had last year. It's just, it's just absolutely nuts and incredible and just eye-popping to watch. And remember that the Marlins have to play them 19 times next year. So, so I didn't gush enough about Atlanta in the offseason and, and during the playoffs, but that, that's why I kind that's why I kind of waited because I was like, we know how good Atlanta is, and as as even though we just talked about all those things that those other teams have made, Atlanta to me is still the top dog in the division because of everyone you just mentioned. And on top of that, getting Charlie Morton, I mean, how clutch is that? Has he been throughout the postseason the last couple of years, you know, pitching for the Astros and then the Rays? And now you bring him to Atlanta, you drop him in there. And Soroka is one of the premier uh, young pitchers in the game. Atlanta is going to be, and, and I've said this probably, this is probably the uh, 28th time I've said this on this podcast. Atlanta is here to stay. I think they're going to be good for a long, long time. They're the standard in the division. After that, though, then things that, you know, I think now have gotten interesting with what the Mets have been able to do in the offseason and under new ownership now, maybe things start to turn for them a little bit. Maybe they're not so much of a, you know, the, the joke of, uh, that, that everybody likes to poke fun at in baseball because of all the craziness. Maybe they get maybe they get it going a little bit, but the Marlins still bring it back to our team here. It it's you you saw the trend upward last year, and you've seen some positive moves, but you still see the road that's left when you see you know the obstacles that are forming in this division. This division continues to be one of the strongest ones in, in all of baseball, and it's a it's a big hill they're still climbing. And especially when you consider the fact of the uncertainty of what the playoff field in terms of numbers of teams it's going to be now going into next year. We don't know if there's yeah. going to be the extended playoffs. And if you already have, at the very least, the Braves and the Mets that you have to compete with to try to fight into at least the wild card spot, and then you look out west where you have the Dodgers and the Padres. So yeah, you already the Padres see- got much better. Now the Padres are going to be a threat to L.A. Yeah, so now you have now you have to figure out if the two wild card spots are basically going to be in the east and the west. You're going to have to try to find a way to creep into that runner-up spot because there's really little room for error to clinch a playoff spot if we if it's only five teams again. Yeah, and you can't totally throw away the Central Division. I know they're the weakest of the three right now, but if you look at it, how many players struggled in that 60-game slate? I mean, I look at the team like the Brewers. What if Christian Yelich returns to form? What if some you know they still have Kane? They still have a lot of players on that in that on that roster that didn't show out really too well in a 60 game format, but when you get back, you know, you have more leeway in a longer season again and guys get going again, a little bit more of a, of a standard, a little more normal of a routine. If they can do that, that's still a team to contend with. The Cardinals are still good. That's still a potential team that can fight for wild card spots, you know, and then I know the Cubs have lost pieces, but they're still going to hang around. Their only hope for the Marlins is maybe, yeah, if, if they retain that 16 team playoff format, that obviously gives them a better chance again. And maybe if they sneak one in, but, at best, I mean, are you, are, you know, do you look at it as we're the 15th, 16th best team in baseball? That's not their goal. They want to get higher than that. But there's going to be, it's going to start to look a little bit like like college football where there's an elite 
And then there's a big gap from like around that five, that fifth, sixth, seventh team. There's a big drop off to then like that next tier. Like the Marlins are probably like on that tier three under that right now, trying to fight their way up. So how long is it going to take for them to get up there? I mean, their farm system is coming along and we know the prospects are coming, but you know, without a, are they going to have the means to, to pick up free agents and compete on that sort of level over the next few years? And with that, just the quick rehash of where the Marlins are right now and what they've done so far this offseason. Uh, obviously, it started beginning with trading for Adam Simber, who looks like could potentially be a sixth, seventh inning type role guy in the bullpen. Picked up a couple guys who, with Rule 5 restrictions, uh, selecting Paul Campbell in the Rule 5 draft, trading for Zach Pop, again, great baseball name, as we've discussed a couple podcasts ago. But both of them, with the Rule 5 restrictions, are either going to be on the roster and in the bullpen or going back to their respective teams. Uh, they signed Ross Detweiler back at the beginning of the month. And the one of the moves that I'm still that I'm intrigued by was the non-rostering by minor league deal for, with Sandy Leon, a catcher. That, to mm-hmm. me, is probably going to be one of the more intriguing things to see exactly how he plays out with the Marlins figuring out what they're going to do between Jorge Alfaro and Chad Wallach at the catcher spot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he's definitely got a shot to crack that, that you know, maybe right there with Alfaro depending on how Chad comes back and has, and, and, and performs in camp this year. But, you know, again, I, I think the it's, it's solid moves pieces are addressing issues on the team, but overall this, 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 this roster is going to have to be, and, and not just this coming season, I think in the next two years, I think they're just gonna have to be overachievers. Like it's going to have to be, you know, the well-coached, you know, buy into the culture type of thing and, 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 and be one of those teams that eat, that scratches out wins and gets, you know, exceeds expectations because of those factors. That's the only, the only way they're going to compete because you're, you're throwing names out there that then that just don't compare with a Francisco Lindor and, 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 and a Josh Bell and guys like that. Also, those are big, big names at, for a reason. Those are, those are major acquisitions. You know what I mean? So in terms of on paper talent, are they going to match up? No, not overall, but again, they're going to have to do a lot of the things they did last year where everybody kind of came together. I mean, Look at the way they beat the Cubs in the playoffs. I mean, pound for pound, that roster wasn't better than the Cubs, but little things happen. Key hits here, you know, a home run by Garrett Cooper here, a performance by Sandy Alcantara on the mound here. Like those little things all have to click over the course of a season for them to maybe exceed and maybe, you know, not just get out of the cellar, but even have a shot at one of these wild card spots. And that's probably going to mean a lot of the younger guys, the prospects who got debut their debut last year, and a few of them who are on the on the cusp of coming up in 21, they're probably going to have to hope that the growing pains are minimal at best because the way it's looking right now, we probably are going to get to see a good chunk of the kids again in 2021. I mean, we saw Sixto Sanchez and the struggles he went through going against teams the second time around and the third time around in the case of the Braves. We saw the struggles that both Monte Harris and Jazz Chisholm had to play and, well, frankly, just about all of the hitters that came up last year. But again, it was a small sample size, and they're probably hoping that getting that out of the way in 2020 will probably help them going into next year. But you're going to have a lot of, especially on the pitching side, you're going to have a lot of young guys who haven't gone through the full 162-game grind that are going to be asked a lot of going into next season. And like you said, you're going to need to see a little bit of luck on their side, a little bit of hope that the injury front doesn't doesn't hit them as much as it potentially could. And you're going to see ways that they can sneak in the balance of gaining the experience and players stepping up and showing up. 
Six though is like the Marlins uh, version of Tua. It's like it's too small sample size. You know, let let let's look at all the potential, all the all the excitement. Let's let's let that manifest. Let's let him keep to develop and, and come out and see what he can do in 2021, maybe in a full season. And yeah, I mean, he's one of he's one of the biggest ones that we that that people have high hopes for. JJ Blade, we haven't seen him yet. Edward Cabrera, we haven't seen him yet. There's a lot of those that are going to need those first 80 or so, you know, games. I mean, I don't know if they're going to come up right away necessarily, but whenever they do, this is still going to be a season where a lot of that development still has to take place. A lot of that breaking the ice at the major league level and learning, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that honestly doesn't translate all the time to a lot of wins because of the growing pains and the bumps that they're, they're going to take. That's why it wouldn't surprise me if this team takes a step back this year in terms of, let's not say record because you can't compare when the format if it's the back to the normal season but let's say in terms of the achievement you know if they don't get in the playoffs and they're and and maybe it's a below 500 team we're not talking a disastrous hundred loss type of thing but maybe if it's like what the zips uh projection had for them maybe something in the mid 70s because of those factors being in there but a very competitive squad that maybe loses a lot of close games because they're still young and they're still learning that's right on the cusp of maybe taking a bigger leap in 2022. So in essence, what everyone was hoping would happen in 2020, if it was a normal season, just now happening a year later because of how everything unfolded last year. Yeah. I think that, I think there's no doubt that the short season benefit helped definitely helped them a lot. I mean, you know, once they got past the outbreak and once everybody got back together, I mean, we saw it, we saw the, the where it was trending right before the postseason. had they played a hundred more games, I mean, how much of that would have, you know, how, how long would it have taken? It wouldn't taken, it wouldn't have taken a hundred games. How long would it have taken for them to fall off potentially in the standings? We don't know. So I think this is going to be more, more of a reveal this year if they go, you know, and we don't even know yet when baseball will start. The hopes are it's going to go into standard format and, and, you know, pick up back to kind of where it left off. But what if there are delays? What if we have COVID issues? We're seeing it in basketball. We're seeing it in the, in college basketball, in the NBA games are getting shifted around canceled postponed all that sort of thing so still a lot of you know what ifs a lot of unknowns but if they can play a long season where you get into more of the familiar grind and then you may have fans again because that's another thing you know you played in empty ballparks pretty much the the, the whole season you know that they did they didn't get you know the benefit of like the dodgers and the padres and, and and the braves did at the end when they got to texas and there were and there were some fans there so you know even mattingly was talking about that a lot of guys don't know what it's like to have hostile environments yet in the majors, you know, going to Philly. I mean, I don't know how full the stadiums are going to be, but eventually maybe if we get back to that point where there's at least some sort of, you know, adversity there too. So all those little factors, not to, to, to ramble too long about it, I think are going to be, you know, interesting to see how it affects their development. But I think it's, it's more of a development year again for them. Can't totally rule out maybe contending for the postseason, but you kind of have to keep in mind that, some of these factors are going to be there. And as long as the overall big picture process continues to trend upward, that's the important thing. All right. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to touch a little bit more on what we could see from the Marlins throughout the rest of this offseason as we continue to creep closer and closer to spring training. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, guys, we're back. Uh, with the offseason, we got about a little more than a month left, and the Marlins, the bulk of their moves so far have been toward the bullpen. But Kim Ang, Mar- new Marlins general manager, has noted that the Marlins would be inclined to hopefully try to add another bat to the lineup, try to find some some extra veteran presence for the lineup. Assumingly, it's going to be some sort of corner outfielder, somebody to take that Matt Joyce-type role, potentially platoon at right field, or if it's a left-handed bat, whether it's platooning in right field or potentially spelling Corey Dickerson if you want to try to rotate some guys around. There have been some reports going on that are linking the Marlins to a couple guys who fit that, those roles. Uh, MLB.com has linked uh, Adam Duvall to them. I know he's a right-hander, but still fits the corner outfield spot. Uh, John Heyman has linked uh, Yasiel Puig to the Marlins. And while this person isn't directly linked to them, uh, the Red Sox have reportedly op- expressed interest in potentially trading Andrew Benatendi, who could fit that role. Again, he's been due about, if I'm right, about 5 or $6 million after signing a two-year deal right before his arbitration years. So of that group, just where do you think the Marlins could fit into those pictures? And do you think they should be going for this type of bat, knowing that, especially with it mostly being outfielders and the depth that they have coming up and the guys they're trying to take looks at, just where where do you see this going, Dre? I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's necessary because, again, to catch up and to – to try and compete with with some of the power lineups that they're going to face throughout the division, throughout the league, which the National League is getting stronger, I think it doesn't hurt at all. I mean, I know you have Corey Dickerson in left field, and you have you know spots there. Marte is still going to be in center, but I mean, if you picked up an Adam Duvall, I think that's the type of veteran right there that could play first base too if you need, because that's always going to be you know injuries are going to happen, and even if you know even if Lewin Diaz is up, even if you have Aguilar, even if you have Garrett Cooper you want to have as many options as possible to play with. And we know Don Mattingly will move pieces around that sort of thing. So Duval brings a power bat, you know, from the right-hand side, you got a lot of lefties coming up in this lineup now from, from the farm system. So that, that could balance a lineup too. Puig is an energy guy. We know, you know, he's been linked, not just this year, even last year he was linked there. He hasn't played. He didn't play last year. So how did, how is that going to affect things for a team that would possibly sign him? We don't know. You know, and he could be, you know, kind of a little, could be a little bit of a hothead too. So you hope that that mix there, you know, translates well, and especially in you know, a young nucleus, a young, you know, like kind of like an impressionable team with a lot of young, you know, rookies breaking in. But you know, I like the Duval potential there. I mean, if if Benintendi did come available in some sort of a deal, that'd be interesting to explore as well, because then again, you bring in a lefty bat, you know, a younger guy. I think Benintendi now trying to remember his age off the top of my head i'm looking at up here as we talk about it but uh yeah he's only oh he's 26 so there you go he's still you know relatively young player that that would be a benefit he struggled a bit obviously last year struggled a lot 103 didn't really play much i think he only hit like four of 39 but if he could bounce back another guy maybe you know we've seen in the history of what you know she talked you know kim ang talks about track record he's done it in the past can he kind of regain that sort of form but I think in overall, I think they definitely do. I think they need offense, you know, because again, guys that are going to come up, you can't assume, you know, we're not, they're going to take some time. They're going to need some time to get used to major league pitching, to develop that sort of thing. So, you know, you need that veteran presence and it, and it's helped in the last couple of years, even last year, we saw it. 
Dickerson, Aguilar, all those guys that that came in, even Cervelli before he got hurt, how valuable that was, you know. And even in the year before, when they were when when the team was really bad, Neil Walker, Granderson, you know, veterans like that, Starling Castro, really helped. So I mean, it it, it definitely would be something beneficial to them if they could pull it off. And and but I, out of all those names, I think I like Duval the best. Yeah, I would have to echo that, especially since we got to see Duvall up close, especially last year when he was with the Braves. They were part of that playoff run. He was one of the many players on that roster who managed to have, have a pretty good to- good season against the Marlins. And just to circle back to the Benatendi report, uh, the athletic Jim Bowden was the one who initially reported it. And he basically he said they're in serious trade talks with multiple teams and that they're looking for prospect-type returns, emphasis on pitching and outfielder which mm. is essentially where the Marlins are very top heavy when yeah. it comes to where their farm system's at. But, but carefully though, I would carefully, say carefully yes. because you don't want to overpay for, for Benintendi no, no, either. No, of course, of course. Yeah. And, ex- and especially in this type of season where you're jumping from 60 games to 162, specifically on the pitching side where the Marlins outside of Sandy Alcantara don't have a guy who's actually pitched a full 162 game season, gone through yeah. a full 30 plus starts. So you're going to need even more than ever, uh, more than ever, you're going to need those those extra pitchers. You're going to need to have that depth in the minor leagues just to just to have that safety net because you don't know what's going to happen, what inning limits the Marlins are end up putting on guys, and what restrictions you might want to put just because you're not going to want to you want to assume the worst, even though you're hoping for the best. Yeah, you you're, you you never want to give away too much depth uh, at that spot, especially. But at the same time. Over the next, the interesting thing is, I, I think over the next couple of years, there will be a little bit of redundancy there in terms of you can't, you will have a surplus and you can, you won't have places to put certain guys in the rotation. So, do you, you can deal to fill other gaps and that sort of thing. So, how do you, you know, it's going to be very key the way they project who's expendable long term and who's not as they try to make moves like this. But again, I wouldn't overpay for any of those guys, Duval included. But if you can part with one piece that you're looking long-term and you think to yourself, this guy doesn't project well in terms of what we believe, that sort of thing might be worth sending a player, you know, maybe a player or two, or even maybe pack sweetening the deal, maybe with a, a lower end prospect as well. And then to transition to one other main position that's of interest. I mean, we've talked about the outfield multiple times, but there is one spot in the infield that looks like it's still going to be really up for grabs at this point. Second base. Second we got, base, yeah. I mean, we got, Isan Diaz, who heading into 2020, it was supposed to be his chance to prove his spot. And then he opts out, opts back in, plays about four or five games, injures the groin, and -hmm. doesn't really get the chance to prove himself. And then you have Jazz Chisholm, who is supposed to be your shortstop of the future, and sort of just slides right into that second base spot once Isan goes down. And Mm -hmm. he holds his own defensively. Obviously, we know there's potential there with the bat, but we haven't had a chance to see that from either of those guys. They're both lefties, so it sort of feels like it'd be a redundancy to keep them both on the big league roster. That's going to be – obviously, we still have a lot to go until spring training, but that still is a point of emphasis to watch and to see whether they decide to go with one or the other or to see if they try to find somebody, whether it's a non-roster invite route to bring a veteran in or just go with one of those two and then have John Birdie there as your backup. Yeah, and again – you know, it's that same problem because what if, you know, hypothetically, what if Miggy goes down and then you need jazz at short, you know, mm-hmm. or like you said, what if birdie goes down who has had injuries already in the past and then, and then, you know, you don't have any backups there either. 
you know, or if Eason or if Eason or Jazz go down, and then that settles your problem right then and there. So I mean, you you have to have your security net on both sides of that. But yeah, in the, in the ideal, putting all the injuries aside, it is interesting to see because Eason really just hasn't solidified that because of his absence last year mainly. So is he going to do that finally this year? Is he going to live up to he's 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 the first he was the first one there. So is he going to solidify? He's going to seize the opportunity and really take control there and, and and prove to them that he's a guy they can count on for the next few years. Because if he doesn't, you know, Jazz kind of maybe more like the placeholder at second until he can he can the mm-hmm. shortstop spot is freed up and then coming in behind Jose Devers will have a shot at it potentially. We know he's a shortstop, but he but maybe his future is at second base, you know. And then longer term, there are other guys, Jose Salas and others that are coming up behind them. But it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, Devers is still not for this season. So here is where kind of the pivot is going to happen probably this season where we're going to find out, is it Diaz? Is he the future? Or is it going to be Jazz for a little bit? Or do we like Jazz at second and then we look for another shortstop and then maybe Devers goes there, et cetera, that sort of thing. So a lot of movement is going to be settled, I think, over the next year. Yep, And fingers crossed we'll be seeing all this in just a little bit more in the month. Dre, I know you're probably just as excited as I am for this to finally get going again. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, it feels like the other, it's a, it's not like the NBA where it's like, wait, didn't you guys just finish? Like it's already, it feels like it's already been a little bit since the world series ended. So yeah. And, and then I'm looking forward, hopefully just to having, you know, some, it's not going to be normal. We're still dealing with COVID and that sort of thing, but at least I have maybe going to a spring training that at least feels a little more like it did before. Definitely. And that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald, Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. We'll be back again to continue previewing this offseason, previewing this 2021 season as we get closer and hopefully have some more news to discuss in sooner rather than later. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>